Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, shh, we're about to begin. Welcome to episode 29 of Slaughter. I'm Lucy, joined by Emma, my co-host. And you might not know it because last week I wasn't really in it. (laughs) But this week it's going to be a whole lot of me. My person... I'm going to be looking at Herbert Rouse Armstrong. And I literally picked him because I liked the name Herbert. I like the name Herbert because it reminds me of uh, Salad Fingers. Now, that's that creepy YouTube thing you made me watch, isn't it? When I used to watch it, there was no YouTube. I'm old school. Herbert Rouse Armstrong. He was the only solicitor ever to be hanged in the UK. He was convicted of killing his wife and suspected of murdering quite a few others. But there is still a significant number of people, particularly in his hometown of Hay on Wye, who believe that he was an innocent man who was framed. Hay on Wye! So it's a town, it's. With a ridiculous. It's literally on the border of England and Wales. It's on Wye. No, like you can see, if you go and Google, the line runs exactly down Hay on Wye's on one side. So some people lived in Wales, some people lived in England, directly on the border. But Armstrong was born on the 13th of May in 1869 in Plymouth. His parents weren't hugely wealthy and he was educated by his two maiden aunts, which I kind of felt like, who, why does it matter if they had sex? What's the point in mentioning it? But, but it's, it's mentioned. It's important for us to know that the people he was educated by... Were Virginian. <laughs> were Virginian. Virginal. Yeah. So it wasn't a small effort that he was able to go to Cambridge. What, um, university? Cambridge University. Yeah, Cambridge University. Oh. And he then left and went to do his law degree in Liverpool before being commissioned and sent to uh, for the Boer War in 1901. When he returned, he began practising law in Newton Abbott, which was in Devon. And he lived there for six years, during which time he was engaged for three years to a printer's daughter named Catherine Friend. 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 Which at the time, I mean, three years now is a long engagement, but three years then, you'd be very... ridiculous. You'd be suspicious. Two weeks, done. Yeah, you were like, do you like me? I like you. Married much? Yeah, we went on a date, let's get married. But yeah, three years they were engaged. In 1906, he moved to Hay and started hey. working as a legal clerk to Mr. Cheese. Friend, Cheese. 
Well, I've got another one for you. So looking a little bit further at the town, so it's right on the tip of the Brecon's Beacon National Park and just one of the closest landmarks to it is a place called Lord Hereford's Knob. So they lived in Hay, they went to Lord Hereford's Knob with friend and cheese. I mean, I really like it. I mean, it's quite a disappointing landmark. It is just a hill. But I love the thought of Lord Hereford walking around being like, oh, you see that hill over there? That's my knob, that is. <laughs> and everyone being like, yeah, it's Lord Hereford's Knob. His knob's so big. It's the fucking mountain. I love all the teenagers like, we're going to go for a drink on Lord Hereford's Knob. I mean, it's, look, it's amazing if you're Lady Hereford. <laughs> so in this town... So it's a very small town, rural, lovely, and it had two solicitors firms there. They were lucky. They'd both been established for many years and they were directly across the street from each other. So the rivalry was intense. If you wanted to spy, it was no effort at all. A lot of curtain twitching. So one was Mr Cheese's and the other one belonged to a man called Mr Griffith's. Which just seems like a really bad 70s sitcom. Like two cheese. solicitors opposite each other. Yeah, they should have been called Chalk and Cheese. Cheese and Onion. Yeah, but Cheese and Griffiths, unfortunately. So he was 37 when he joined the firm. And soon after his arrival, he was able to put a bit of money into it and become a partner. In Is that nine... what it takes to be a partner, money? I love it. I mean, he was qualified as well. Like I say, he'd been to Cambridge, he'd been to Liverpool, he'd practised for a lot of years. He was older. He wasn't some young buck showing up. He was established. So in 1907, Herbert and Catherine, friend, were married. And they would have three children. And they moved to a house just outside of Hay. And the house was called Mayfield. Now this is described by Edgar Wallace in his book, True Crime Ultimate Collection, as being a somewhat plain dwelling you might expect a country gent of limited income would occupy. Now... (laughs) According to me, it's a fucking bloody mansion. It's huge. It's got its own tennis court. What? Like an Edgar. Like, well, it's plain, limited income. No, it's fancy. It's a bit poor. Um, there's a short film on YouTube, which is really interesting. And it was created by a man called Martin Beals, also a solicitor, who found himself working in the exact offices that Armstrong had worked in, like his same exact desk and chair were there. He then went and bought the house, Mayfield, that Herbert had lived in. So in this little film that he makes, so then he obviously becomes really involved in the case, researching it when he realised, well, shit, I'm basically living his life. And so in this little short film, he shows a lot of interiors of the house, and it's nice. I mean, it needs a lot of decorating, but the basics are there. Six and William Morris up, lovely. Well, that's what they've done. It's basically William Morris just threw up over the whole house. So many sources, Edgar among them, go on to say that very soon after Armstrong's arrival, his partner, Mr Cheese, died very suddenly and his wife followed the day after, (gasps) which was extremely suspicious, and left Armstrong the sole practitioner in the firm. However... Very soon after, actually equates to about seven to eight years. Oh, very soon. Because Mr. Cheese died in 1914. Ridiculous. I wouldn't... Seven years is not very soon. No. That's almost a decade. Exactly. And the sudden death was actually from cancer. Oh. And his wife had collapsed the following day and died from a heart attack. 
Which, although it was close together, older people that have been together for a really long time, that isn't really that unusual a thing to happen. I mean, my grandparents have been married for 70 years. They have never spent a night apart since their whole marriage. If one of them died, the other one would go into complete shock. I don't know what they do. And there's a thing called broken heart syndrome where older couples, it is a huge shock to have a partner die. And especially old couples that have been together for a number of decades, that shock increases. And then when you're old and you're frailer, it doesn't work as well. So it's why it doesn't happen to younger couples. So I don't think he killed them, is what I'm saying. But Armstrong wouldn't make great moves in the soliciting profession straight away because that year World War One broke out. And he joined the Royal Engineers, and by 1916, he had risen to the rank of Major. That's Major. And he did insist on being called Major Armstrong um, afterwards, but I'm not going to bother, because I didn't write it down, so I'm not going to... So you put the effort in. It's like, if I trained for seven years to be a doctor, I'd be like... Sorry, I'm doctor. Oh, of course you would. I would. I remember when we first graduated from uni, we were like, what letters can we put after our names? I hate those colleagues that you have. I'm never going to do it. They email you, they put all the letters after Oh, do they still put like BA ons? They're like, uh, Mrs. I don't know, whatever. And it's like MSC, BHA. And you're like, no, it just makes you look a dick. It looks like you've not finished your crossword clue. So, upon his return home, Mrs. Armstrong had previously, while he was in the war, made a will, obviously panicking, thinking that, you know, it's World War One, the whole world's in disarray, no, everything's uncertain. She'd made a will, leaving everything that she had. She was did have some independent money, and she left a will, leaving everything to her children, and then about £50 a year to her husband. But when he came back, she made another will, written in her husband's handwriting, leaving everything to him. This would have been suspicious, but... It is suspicious. Mrs Armstrong was often in ill health. And it could be argued that it was more likely that she was going to go and Mr Armstrong would be looking after the children, rather than she would be of old age and the children would be... The sole benefactors. So she might have been like, I'm going to go sooner than I thought. Yeah, she wasn't in the best of health at all. She was sometimes called a bit of a hypochondriac, but she was always suffering from some kind of ailment. Um, She was a big believer in homeopathic remedies. Ugh, it's water! But but she would have pills and sorts of things. At the time of her death, she had over 50 bottles of different homeopathic pills and drugs in her bedroom she kept I can't believe they had homeopathy back then Mm. I mean she was a well educated woman she was described in like firm she was quick she was an excellent piano player apparently but sort of her intelligence compared to the reality of her day to day life there was a disparity and she sort of felt dissatisfied she felt like a failure um, unfulfilled. She's got book smarts, she hasn't got street smarts. She's got book smarts, and then she's... What can she do with it? So she was... She struggled with mental health. She was really prone to bouts of melancholia, depression. Um, but 
at the same time, she had like a fun side. She sounds like a little bit like the kind of wife I would be. She was well known. She was liked in the community. Both of them were really um, active in the community. He was a member of the Freemasons. He was like, active in the church. And they liked them both, but she would like make fun of him in front of people and try. She's like she found it funny to embarrass him in front of his friends. She'd be like, he'd be on the tennis court playing. She'd be like, oh Herbert, you need to come in for dinner now straight away and things like, like just to like stop playing out, darling. Like things like just little things. I mean, I was reading it with quite a critical eye though, and I was thinking because you hear of things similar where a wife, she, it said that she ran the household in quite an autocratic way. She was really strict in the home. She was domineering. I would be, I'd be the strict one. I'd be a Luke. Yeah, definitely. Like he would just be like, oh, they're fine. They're just drinking acid. It's just a laugh. And I'd be like, no, they're not doing that. And if it wasn't for the other side of it, the fact that she was ill too, I would have almost have said that what followed after was... Because she, they couldn't cope with her. Just because she was such a feisty, independent woman. Yeah. Because one of the main crimes they sat against her, how she was so despicable to her husband, was the fact that she wouldn't let him smoke anywhere apart from his smoking room in his own house. You exactly. would say no. So if you don't like smoking, you would say, don't smoke in all of our rooms. <laughs> like, so. Yeah, like my brother had a cigarette on a night out and his wife cried, so... Swings around about so, yeah, but she did have this other side to her. So she did suffer from mental illness. And in 1920, she told the children that they weren't going to see their father again because he'd been arrested for a crime that she had committed. It hadn't happened, oh. but she was convinced that that's where he was. He's not coming home. He's been arrested. He must have been arrested. I've done something terrible. For being a bitch. But her housekeeper also said that Mrs. Armstrong would often imagine things were happening in the house. She'd hear voices, um, she'd hear footsteps, and her delusions were becoming worse and worse. And so she was sort of stopped looking after the children. She was often in bed, and she was she suspected people. She was really paranoid, so she wouldn't pay the servants or she wouldn't pay workmen. She she always thought that people were out to get her. She was being swindled. She was being poisoned. She was being Got to You have to. Got to keep them sweet. Because they can fuck things up. Because they can be very good. They can be a pain in the arse. Um, so in the 22nd of August in 1920, there were a doctor, some family, some friends were all at the house for a big dinner, including her family, like her sister and her niece. And that was when they sort of had an intervention where in front of everybody, they signed these forms and... Mrs. Armstrong was taken to a private asylum in Gloucester and she stayed there for five months. So everyone was there together and they were like, look, we're going to get you help now. It was Did a... she need to go to an asylum? I think it was the delusions that were the most worrying. She... So when she was gone, Herbert Armstrong, you know, the cat's away, the mice will play. <sighs> he went kind of wild. He would be drinking, he would be smoking... And as one of my favourites, Gordon Honeycomb, off of Murders of the Black Museum, he very politely puts it that Armstrong began enjoying the pleasures of a middle-aged philanderer. Which, in my naivety, was like, oh, gambling! But he actually got syphilis. He fucked so hard that he caught a disease. It was really common at the time, but it was sort of... A lot of people had syphilis. They went a bit crazy. But I think... 
a lot of like the what they called whore houses, it was common occurrence. Yeah. But it may or may not be interesting for you to know. It probably is. It probably is. It will it will become interesting later. That at the time, one of the most popular treatments for syphilis was arsenic. What? It was even called like it was referred to as the magic bullet. But people took arsenic for all sorts of shit. Uh, yeah, definitely. And it was mixed with other things, but it was called this magic bullet, and basically a pill that contained mostly arsenic, other things, a very small amount because obviously it's lethal, and that would cure syphilis. So. Right from this point, he was exposed to arsenic, using it, it's coming. So, around this time, Armstrong began to write to the superintendent of the asylum to have his wife returned home. Also, at the same time, there was some big news in all the newspapers and in the press. A man called Harold Greenwood was a solicitor from Wales, and his wife had suddenly died and was later found to have been poisoned by arsenic. So this story had been going on while his wife had been going in. It had been followed. Everyone would have known about it. It it was transatlantic. People in America were following the story. It was big news. And it was said that the arsenic had been used as weed killer, and that had been put into her drink. Uh, But in November of 1920, so this time when Armstrong started writing the letters, Harold Greenwood had been found not guilty. So some people suggest that this was the catalyst then for Armstrong. He'd seen this happening. A solicitor had managed to poison his wife. Good excuse. He'd gotten off for it. So January, a couple of months later, 1921, Herbert Armstrong bought a quarter of a pound of arsenic from the main chemist in the town, John Davis. And he said this was in preparation for use on the dandelions in his garden. Bear in mind, this is January. There is nothing growing in his garden. No. But he's buying weed killer so ready for it. Poisonous wife, but like, I think she sounds kind of cool. Like, why does he want to. Basically, because I'm imagining you. She has money. He. <laughs> you Because I'm like, why would he want to kill you? I'm a dick. He sounds a bit of a dullard. But, well, my main thing is why are people accepting that everyone hates dandelions so much? They're cute. They're yellow. If you if you're not good at growing plants like me, it makes it look like you have flowers. At school, they're fun to blow. At school, my classroom has got a door to the outside, but on the outside there's all these little dandelions. I always think it's so cute going past them because I'm like they're like my little like flower boxes outside my room. I don't know who decided that these are dandelions. Bad snowdrops, good. I mean, they're both wildflowers. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. But Martin Beals, who then lived in the house and did the little short film, he hated them still. He was like, "Yes, and the dandelions are still a p- problem." I'm like, "Chill out, Martin. Let your kids play with them." Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So three days after he'd bought the arsenic, he wrote again to the asylum saying that his wife's delusions had ceased, but this was not the case. But obviously she was eager to come home too. And so if they're both, he's saying she's fine, I want her home, and she's saying I'm fine, I want to come home, with it being a private asylum. There was she no, went home. Yeah, they couldn't keep her there. Like They weren't in control. If you want to stop paying and you both want to go home, like yeah. go yeah. for it. But once she was home, she was still very weak. According to some reports, she was weighed only six stone at this time. So she was physically weak and she was still suffering from her delusions. So she needed a nurse to help her get washed and dressed in the morning. The first nurse quit because she couldn't cope with Mrs. Armstrong's mental state. She said that she was often... Just feed her all of the food. Well, she said she was often asking questions about suicide. Things like, oh, if a person jumped from a second-story window, would they die? If a person did this, would they die? And I think it was just sort of freaking her out. She couldn't cope with the fact that this woman just wasn't, you know, in a good place. So in mid-February of 1921, Mrs. Armstrong became more violently ill. She started to suffer with vomiting, diarrhoea, muscular spasms. And a doctor, Hinks, was visiting her regularly to monitor her sickness. But he also, at the same time, agreed to let Mr Armstrong give his wife some of her homeopathic medicines that he prepared for her himself. So on Monday, the 21st of February, Mrs Armstrong became paralysed and then eventually began to slip into unconsciousness. The doctor had said to Mr Armstrong, there's nothing we can do, like, she's at the end now, so I'll just drive you to work. There's no oh. point staying here. But 15 minutes after he arrived, he got a telephone call from the nurse to say that she had died. So Dr Hinks wrote on the death certificate that she died from heart disease caused by gastritis. Obviously, the vomiting and the diarrhoea made it seem as though there was some sort of food poisoning. But as we know, that... Those are the symptoms of arsenic poisoning. So, three weeks after the death, Mr. Armstrong was done with mourning, and he and the kids, whose mother had just died, and went on a month-long holiday abroad, where Gordon informs us that he contracted a skin infection that covered most of his body. It was fucking syphilis again, wasn't it? Like, it wasn't just... No. Like, he came back with psoriasis. No. Genital warts. He had genital warts of the face, basically. 
And he also had managed to propose to a woman, um, a Mrs. Gale, who he had met while he was in the army and had a little thing with. But she said, no, you're fucking disgusting. You've got skin. That's what's on your face. I mean, I don't know if it was the skin infection. That'd be what did it for me. I'm going to assume it was for her as well. But that summer, Major Armstrong's rival solicitor was married. A guy called Oswald Martin had started working for the solicitors across the street from Armstrong's after Mr. Griffiths was become more elderly. And he was younger, he was only in his 30s, while Armstrong was in his late 40s, 50s at this point. He sort of was everything that he wanted to be a little bit. So in September 1921, Oswald Martin had received a box of chocolates from an anonymous well-wisher. So a couple, just a month after he'd been married, so it was sort of like, you know, maybe a wedding present, we didn't know. There were fancy ones, so they saved them until they were having a dinner party with some family. So it was his brothers and their wives. But only one person wanted the chocolates, and that was one of his sister-in-laws, Dorothy Martin. Love it. She spun that chocolate roulette wheel. She ate one, and she became violently ill that evening. In one of the sources, she didn't eat one. In one of the sources, it said it would have been very embarrassing for both her and the host. So I think it's assumed that she had the shits in the living room. So a month later, Armstrong and Oswald Martin would get into some real beef. Both of the solicitors were involved in the sale of an estate. Uh, One was acting on behalf of the buyer, one was acting on behalf of the vendor. But in October, Martin informed Armstrong via letter that his client wouldn't be going ahead with the contract and they demanded the return of the deposits. I mean, where was Landlord Mark off of the Karen and Ellen letters (laughs) when you need him? He could have explained to him how a deposit worked. You don't get deposits back. Why is everyone confused as to the nature of a deposit? You pay it, because then if you cancel, you don't get it back! Dear Karen, I don't know why you asked me this, but I'm not paying you your deposit with interest. Well, exactly. We needed one of those to explain to Oswald why he wasn't getting it back. Mark's my favourite. They fell out about it. Basically, there's a long dispute over it because they were going to sign the contracts and da-da-da. So Armstrong then began to persist in asking Oswald Martin to meet him for tea. He basically was saying that we've had far too much legal letter writing between us and it would just be easier to settle this dispute if you'd meet me for a gentlemanly cup of tea and we can just speak nicely. Because that's what gentlemen do. Yeah, let's meet for a brew and we'll sort it out. Who's making the tea if they're both gentlemen? So Martin eventually agreed and he went to Armstrong's house at Mayfield. They had tea and scones, but Martin recalled very clearly the fact that he had not been allowed to select his own scone (gasps) from the cake stand but that Armstrong had picked it up and put on a plate while saying, oh, excuse fingers. Oh. Which is basically, I learnt quite recently when someone did it to me. There's no comeback from that. You watch someone touch it with their fingers, but if they say, excuse fingers, it absolves them completely. You can't be like, I'm not eating that because you touched it with your fingers. Yeah. Because it's like, well, I said I touched it with my fingers, so now you've got to eat it. Yeah, as an Englishman... As an English person, it completely protects you from being chastised. And it also lets you have the pleasure of 
forcing the other person to eat whatever you germ-covered food you've given to them. Uh. They're trapped. But the other week, Will was around, dropped a packet of chocolate fingers on my wooden floor. Persky's fingers. On the wooden floor in the living room. I immediately, immediately picked them up, put them in the box. And he was like, well, you've got to chuck them in the bin now. Why? They've been on my floor. You watched me sweep and mop this floor yesterday night. Why did it, Why were you sweeping and mopping the floor when he was there? I clean all the time. You do clean all the time. I was like, you saw me... You do- must be disgusted by my house. <laughs> I was like, you saw me clean this floor last night. It's 10 o'clock the next morning. Why won't you eat these chocolate fingers off the floor? And he refused. He threw them in the bin. Am I weird? Am I the weirdo? So, he did the skews fingers. He gave him a scone. But only a few hours later, Oswald Martin began to feel ill. But... He'd also just eaten dinner. So he'd had the tea and scones with um, Armstrong. He'd gone home and eaten dinner with his wife. He'd had jugged hair and coffee custard, which sounds horrendous. Jugged hair. If you, if you had to choose, do you want a scone with a tiny bit of arsenic in or do you want jugged hair and coffee custard? Scone, please. I'll take yeah. my chances. Yeah, because arsenic is actually a treatment for most of the stuff that we've got. Exactly. It'll clear up my syphilis in no time. I mean, I did look at jugged hair for quite a while, so basically it's like boiled as well. Boiled is the worst thing to do to me. Oh, like hair like the rabbit. Yeah, so you put it in a jug of water and then you put the jug in a pan of water so it's like floating. And you cook it Double for water. a few hours, and then it's, it's supposed like and it's supposed to be served with the blood of the hair. You take the in hair like out. Sauce. It's just water. It's like, but it had a hair in it, and so it's got all the nutrients, and it's going to cure all your illnesses. Fuck, maybe up a thing. I didn't look at coffee custard because I think that's pretty. Everyone's pretty sure that that's going to be rank. So he'd eaten that first, and then he was ill. But he was ill for a total of five days. So. Dr. Hinks, again, was the attending physician, and he began to be suspicious after speaking to Oswald Martin's father-in-law, who just so happened to be John Davis, the chemist that I mentioned earlier, who spilled the beans that Herbert Armstrong had been buying arsenic regularly from his shop. So a urine sample from Oswald Martin and the remaining chocolates he'd been anonymously sent were sent off to London for analysis. And the lab found that two of the chocolates had been tampered with, one of which had been stuffed with arsenic. And the urine was found to contain one thirty-third of a grain of arsenic. That sounds like a small amount. Yes. But it doesn't take a lot, basically. But according to Diane Janes, she wrote a book called Poisonous Lies, The Corydon Arsenic Mystery. And she talks about the effects of arsenic in the body. And she says that basically non-fatal amounts of arsenic, such as this, have got a really rapid rate of clearance from both bloodstream and urine. So if you have um, higher than average levels of arsenic, as Martin did here, he couldn't have been given them whilst at Herbert Armstrong's house because they would have just left the body. If it's a non-fatal amount, it would have gone quickly. So to have a non-fatal amount in his urine then, he'd been given it later or it had been planted. So, unfortunately for Armstrong, this was not common medical knowledge at the time. So, a secret police investigation into Herbert Armstrong was now begun. 
And this continued for a month, during which time Armstrong continued to try and invite Martin for tea, keep, kept asking him round, kept asking him round, and Martin continued to come up with lamer and lamer excuses to avoid him. I mean, basically, their offices... I don't want to die. Their offices are opposite each other. So if he would ring him up and say, do you want to go for tea? And he's like, no, I'm working late. He can see! So yeah. Martin was like forced to sit at his office or if you're drinking tea, he'd ring him up and like, oh, well, if you're drinking tea, you can come around to mine for tea. And it, it was difficult. Like he'd watch him and then as soon as he was like, oh, clocking off for lunch, I'd be like, do you want to come around for lunch? No, I'm working through lunch. So 31st of December, 1921, two officers from Scotland Yard came to call on Armstrong. And Armstrong was like, I'm going to cooperate, I'll give you a statement. But at the end of their chat, he was arrested on the charge of attempted murder of Oswald Martin. So he was searched and he was found to be carrying a small packet of arsenic in his pocket, as well as two ounces of arsenic found in his desk. So then by the 2nd of January 1922, they exhumed the body of his wife, Catherine Armstrong. And they found her to contain three and a half grains of arsenic in the sample that they took. Still. Now, this is a massive dose. Exactly. This is a massive dose. But supporters of Armstrong have basically looked into it, particularly Martin Beals, who I mentioned again from his little documentary, Lived in the House. And it wouldn't be admissible now as medical reports. Ten months of being buried. You wouldn't admit it now. Um, there's basically a redistribution and a diffusion of toxins in the body after death. So where you take the sample from is really important because it's not representative of how it happened. And they said that you, from that sample, they couldn't be concluded that the fatal dose was given 24 hours leading up to death as it would have had to have been. Yeah. So Armstrong's defence in the murder of his wife, was that she had committed suicide due to her mental health problems, that she'd taken arsenic herself, and that the packet of arsenic that had been found had come from arsenic he'd bought as weed killer for the dandelions, and he'd split it up into 20 little packets so that he could use one little packet at a time for ease of killing his weeds. So the judge was a Mr. Justice Darling, and he was <gasps> set, how fabulous! But he was seventy-three when he sat on this trial, and he was absolutely determined to keep asking the same questions over and over, just slightly different, until even a competent solicitor like Armstrong was just giving unsatisfactory answers. So it was just like, so why are they in 20 packets? What were you trying to do? Oh, I was trying to kill the weeds. So why do you put them in 20 packets? What kind of weeds have you got? Oh, I've got these weeds. So why couldn't you just put them in? So like, he just kept asking the same, 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 same. Like he wouldn't accept any answer. Just keep digging at it. So Herbert Armstrong was found guilty of his wife's murder on the 13th of April. And then on the 31st of May, 1922, he was hanged. So... I mean, when researching this, I started out completely convinced of his guilt. I was like, he's done it, he's done it, done it. But now I'm not really so sure. Um, there's lots of things like the arsenic in Oswald Martin's urine couldn't really have been from him. His wife obviously was talking about suicide. Arsenic, as well as being in 
it was in like you said it was in lots of household things some of her homeopathic medicines would have contained bits of arsenic because it was used as a bit of a cure-all for things yeah everyone loved arsenic it was even it there were even traces in you know it was in certain foods it was in certain makeups it it was in a lot of things but the packets of arsenic that armstrong had been sold by john davis the chemist who dobbed him in were actually illegal to sell over the counter because arsenic is odorless, colourless, the white arsenic that he had in packets, you were required by law to put colouring into it so that you couldn't go around poisoning people because we'd made it blue, we'd made it red, whatever they'd done. But John Davis, the chemist, was selling it over the counter as white arsenic. With So he was targeting the poisoning demographic. He was. He was like, you want poison? I've got it. So I'm not quite sure what the motive would be to frame him, though. That's the only sticking point. It's very possible he could have been framed. The evidence against him is purely circumstantial. What was? But I don't. Really, but I don't really see the beef with him and Oswald Martin being such that he would need to be framed. Because if anything, Armstrong was the only one who was annoyed about it. So I don't know why. But what was the motive for killing his wife and then potentially killing this guy? It's suggested that it's possibly money because of the Harold Greenwood case. That because he'd done it and got an inheritance and got away with it, that maybe he'd got an idea for it. Also that his wife was becoming a bit of troublesome. She'd been in the asylum. It might have been easier to bump her off. But again, in this little short, it's only 20 minutes this film, I recommend watching it. He was able to, Martin Beals was able to contact the youngest daughter of Armstrong, who at the time, it was in 1992, something like that, she was still alive. And he was interviewing her. And basically she said, look, whatever's happened, I'd rather know that he'd done the murder and had been executed and the just thing had happened. Then if I know, if I thought that there'd been an injustice, then I would have spent the next 70 years of my life fighting against it or yeah. having to tell this story and not being believed. She was like, I'd rather believe that the right thing had been done. So that's the story of Herbert Rouse Armstrong. It was very rousing. Thank you. If you do want to support Slaughter, please rate, review and subscribe preferably on iTunes, but you can do it on all the places. And you can send us an email. Now, we are getting a few more emails, and we love them. So do email us at slaughterthepodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can tweet us at slaughterthepod. We love getting a tweet. It is the highlight of my day. Uh, if you can go on Facebook, and you can join the Facebook group. If you search for S apostrophe laughter, true crime podcast, or just as possible if you laughter generally, then it will come up. You can join the group. You can friend us. You can buy our t-shirts on Threadless, on Spreadshirt. Links are on the Facebook page. You can join us on Patreon. We do extra content for people to say thank you. So you go to patreon.com forward slash slaughter the pod. It's all right. I've got five minutes to fill. So we've got too much shit happening. Uh, Instagram. You can go on Instagram. You can pop around my house and have tea with my mum if you want. Come she doesn't on. live with me, but she's just there a lot. You can send us free shit. Just send us a message and tell us what free shit you want to send us. Because I love free shit. You can do fan art. 
and I will put it on Instagram. That's fun. So I'd like to take this time to do some shout outs and say a huge thank you to the people that have donated to our Patreon. And these are our brand new patrons for this month. So welcome to the family. So we have Simon Box, Lulu, Claire Cumming, Emily Anderton, Maggie Price, William Muir's there again. He's obviously feeling flush because he's upped his patron donation. Thanks, Willie. Alex Hale, Rory Patrakis, Leslie Kidd, Joe DeVee, Morella Brown, Twisted Philly, Laura, Angela Felton, Hannah Ettinger, Maggie. Thanks, guys. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 